Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. I'm pleased to welcome to Song of the Soul today singer, songwriter, speaker, and all-around creative and enthusiastic person, Sarah Hickman from Austin, Texas. Sarah's a delight and an inspiration as she makes music for big and little people all around the world, raising support for the homeless in Texas, for orphans in Romania, or for dialogue about the death penalty. In churches, on Austin city limits, or walking down the street, Sarah carries deep music conveying the powerful and present spirit that is there to uphold all of us. It's a privilege to welcome Sarah Hickman to share her Song of the Soul. Sarah, it's so great that you could join me for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much for having me today, Mark. You ran off today to receive an award. Tell us about this exciting award and the group that gave it to you. I was honored to receive an award from the Hope Alliance, which helps shelter abused women and children in Tarrant County, Williams County, Texas, for my speaking out on behalf of domestic violence victims and for wanting to change the world through my music. You have something like 14 or so recordings, but... Looking at your website, we might say that that's only maybe, I don't want to say a small part, but only just one part of the many-faceted life that you live. You do a fair amount of work as an activist, as a speaker, all that. Flush out a little bit the idea of what you do for your life. Well, I think the easiest way to say what I do 
<laughs> is that I guess some people call it a renaissance woman, but I really just think of myself as a humanist and somebody that's very engaged and loves life, wants to be a part of life, and ever since I can remember, I've always thought that music has the power to heal, and because of that philosophy, it's apparent, I think, on my recordings for adults and for children, but also that's what's led me to do speaking engagements and creative classes where people can come and learn how to be more creative in their own lives and introduced me to the world of music therapy at a very young age. So I just I feel really blessed in that God continually sends me new doors that are opening and I can choose whether or not to pass through those doors, but the experiences seem to combine into a beautiful experience and I'm very grateful for it. You mentioned you're a Renaissance woman, and when I think of Renaissance, I also think of the great painters. And you're a bit of a painter, too, aren't you, as your website testifies? That was an excellent segue. (laughs) Yes. Well, both of my parents were in the arts. My father is still a painter, and my mother was a fiber artist. She had a 14-foot loom in our house, and she was always weaving. And I grew up in a home where, God forbid you should say I'm bored, because you would be handed a jar of clay or you would be given a typewriter and expected to write something for the theater. So I had very, very creative parents, and, of course, that led to a love of painting and drawing and design. I have to say again, I feel blessed in that I'm married to a partner who we have a design firm called Stingray, and we design packaged and graphics for other musicians. Tell me a little bit more about your home life, if you will. Well, growing up, my parents dabbled in church every once in a while. We would go to a Methodist or a Presbyterian church. Both sets of my grandparents were very religious. Whenever we visited, we would go to the Presbyterian churches with them. One set lived in Atlanta, one set lived in Rogers, Arkansas. But I think more so our home was spiritual in the sense that you could achieve anything you wanted as long as you believed in the gifts you'd been given and you utilized them to the best of your ability My parents were very proactive in taking us to the theater and the museums, and our house was always full of artists, and that was always really engaging for me as a child. So I think the spirit base in my home was more of an organic spirituality than so much a structured or or a religious-based reality. And in terms of activism, you certainly have a, a very healthy dose of it in your life now. Was there activism? Was that part of the values that you grew up with? Well, my parents weren't really activists. I don't recall them ever getting involved in anything. But both my grandmothers were volunteers in the hospitals they worked at. They would take me to get involved, and that led me, as I got older, when I was about 12, to become a candy striper in Houston, where I grew up. When I went to the high school for performing and visual arts, I had a teacher, Pat Bonner, who still teaches in Houston at that school, She, I think, read that I was going through some hard times as my parents were getting divorced, and she engaged me to get involved with singing in psychiatric units for kids my age. And not only that, but people would call the high school and say, we need somebody to come sing at a bank opening or come sing at this art opening or whatever, and she would send me out and I would get paid. But I distinctly remember that going into that psychiatric ward at 15 years old and being around other kids my age who were troubled or had been abused and neglected or or who were suicidal and here I was coming in with my guitar and trying to communicate to them through my music was very impressionable on me that wow 
music can really heal the soul, and more so it can help people communicate and open doors for them to express themselves that they may not have been able to find ways to do so before. So that led me early on into wanting to do music therapy, even though I didn't know that that was a calling or a field. I just enjoyed doing that. And that led me to get involved in other issues like Amnesty International and PETA, and I got involved with orphans in Romania, and I started just seeing that the world was a very, very big picture, not just a little slice of pie. I find it interesting, Sarah, that you had this calling towards what we know as music therapy at that age, that you have an honorary degree as a music therapist, but you didn't study it. How did that come about? Well, I got involved very early on when I moved to Dallas with Arts for People, which was a group that sent artists and musicians and dancers and theater people into different places like hospitals, therapeutic resources, mental health and mental retardation, outpatient and inpatient services. That would have started when I was just graduating from college in 1986 when I moved to Dallas. I heard about it because I was very depressed, and uh, another musician friend of mine said, oh, you should get involved with Arts for People. And So I called up the woman who had founded it, Marjorie Clive, and she said, oh, yeah, I think you'd be wonderful in it, and you have to come up with your own programs. And I thought, ooh, what does that mean? But it was really exciting because what I would do is I would go, say, to work with stroke patients, and through working with them I learned about aphasia and I learned about how you can help someone regain their mobility in small ways through the use of instruments or rhythm. And then I started working with some of the first AIDS patients in Dallas. I worked with burn units. I worked in pediatrics. I worked on the ICU ward and preemies. Being involved with Arts for People for many years, I was asked to come and speak at the National Association of Music Therapists, and they gave me a very kind award. Uh, a couple years later in Baltimore, they came out to one of my shows and presented it to me. And I was really touched because, of course, music therapists are people that go to school and train to be therapists by utilizing music. And the group I had worked with was really about artists and musicians learning how to be therapists. So we come about it from a different way. And, of course, again, we're not educated in it. Um, it's really just utilizing the gifts you have and learning how to work with patients to help them heal. So uh, it was a great fun to go and speak at the music therapy convention, and I, I think I ended up ha- taking a conga line of all these music therapists out into the hotel lobby and around, and it was very fun. <laughs> have you always been an extreme extrovert? You sound like you have that gift. That's a good question, because actually I was always very painfully shy. Until I went to college, that's when I really feel like I started understanding that I could make things happen in the sense that really life is proactive, that you're opening the doors yourself, and that's not to say that God isn't involved, but I think God wants us to be proactive in this world, and God wants us to use the brain and the heart that each of us is given, and when we don't utilize those gifts, they, of course, are going to atrophy and wither. You know, what greater gift than to be out in the world discovering who you are by being outgoing? So... Yeah, I'm really frequently surprised how many people think I'm outgoing. I I don't know that I would use the word outgoing so much as that I'm just, I'm enthusiastic. I really embrace that word enthusiastic because it's from the Latin, and in means to, of course, have inside, and theos means to have God. So when you're enthusiastic, you have the light of God inside you, and people are drawn to you. And I think just like a moth to a flame, 
when we allow the light of God to shine from us, it makes the world a better place, and it makes other people inspired and enthusiastic, and then it's just this wonderful ripple effect. I think that's a kind of powerful way of saying, it's all right, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is the first song that you chose for your song of the soul, Sarah. Tell us about It's All Right and how this fits in this spiritual collage, which is your life. It's All Right came about because I was going through a divorce and I had had my first baby. And it was really, quite frankly, a terrifying and exhausting time for me. And I loved my first child very, very much. She's grown up to be a wonderful person. But at the time, I felt like I just felt all this pressure to be a new wonderful mom and to get through the divorce proceedings, which took quite a long time, and and I was still working. I was singing at night, and my mom helped me tremendously. This song came about because one night I was holding Lily, and she was still a baby, and Lily was very colicky. I was just exhausted. It was about three in the morning, and I was walking and rocking her, and I just cried out. I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. I rocked her and changed her diaper and nursed her and driven her around in the car, and I'm so tired, and I don't want to fail my baby. Please, please help me. I'm, this song, It's All Right, came through me. And um, the amazing thing was she stopped crying, and I was frantically trying to remember the words and the melody as it was pouring out of me because I didn't. I knew the song would end, and then she'd probably start crying again, so I wanted to remember it. And it just became our theme song, really. It's a song of hope and strength, and also that we're not really ever alone. Well, when I first heard it, it definitely put me in that peaceful place. I don't want our listeners to go to sleep or anything. It's got kind of a lullaby, soothing tone to it. So everybody stay awake and listen to It's All Right. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Sarah Hickman. It's alright, it's okay, it's alright, it's okay, and I love It's alright, it's okay, times will be hard, but we'll get through, times will be It's 
a lot of people come up with tears in their eyes and they say they identify with it too so I, I just again have to thank God for sending me yet another song that seems to open people's hearts why did you name it Comfort's Sigh uh, that's a really good question I, I think basically I was thinking about how when you're in the grips of depression or you're feeling isolated and alone you just want some comfort and I was thinking about how when you're outside and maybe you're at the beach or maybe you're flying a kite, but there's that gentle caress of the wind on your face. And it's almost like the breath of God on you. It's a comfort sigh. And that's how it got placed into the song. I think it's time for our listeners to hear your version of Comfort Sigh, the original that has gone all through David Howard, and your friend, and other people. It's quite a gift to the world. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Sarah Hickman, Comfort's Sigh. I must have faith in my own journey. I must believe I belong. And though I am weary, I feel forgotten. I'll find the strength in my own soul. I see the sorrow. My yesterday, I read tomorrow's front page news. I hear a heartbeat long ago and bittersweet. It's a glass slipper I'll never lose. I must have faith in my own. Watching the streets 
when I get to go into production, I like to play with the production and I like to bring what I feel is the strength of the song to the forefront. So I'm really an eclectic musician in that I have all sorts of different jingly jangly things inside me. And it's really about the song and the story that I always hope stands out. Well, this song definitely stands out. It's Aurora and it's by Sarah Hickman. Dodging white goats and white hogs I check my guitar, is it in tune? Crossing the hall to her room Where, sitting alone in a chair I position myself in a singular stare I sing Barora She's not feeling too well today, they say How can you tell she looks so
That was Aurora by Sarah Hickman. Sarah is joining us today from Austin, Texas, where she does a whole lot of music. One of the things you do, you go to Austin City Limits, um, that get-together, that program, don't you? You did just recently? Yes. I, I was blessed to do the television show in 1990 or 91, and then I've played the Austin City Limits Music Festival for the last five years mostly on the children's stage, but this year I did the children's stage and the adult stage, which was quite a kicker. The children's stage I played with a band that I've helped formulate called Super Pal Universe, and we have a website, www.superpaluniverse.com. And then I also played on the adult stage with some wonderful, wonderful musicians, and it's a great festival. It's, it's probably one of my favorite festivals in the world. It's just very well organized and you get to be loud. So anybody up north that wants to come down next year, it's always in September on the, the weekend of my husband's birthday. So come on down and party with us. Spiritually, what's happened to you as you're growing up? And again, you had a spiritual but not particularly religious home life. But you seem to speak very comfortable, for instance, using the word God. And I know plenty of people who have deep spiritual beliefs who don't care for that word. What's happened to your beliefs over these decades? Let's see. When I went to college, I would attend different churches. I just always felt called to be a part of a community that believed in God. And I tried a Baptist church, but I was too forward-thinking and a little, probably, I asked too many questions. Uh, it was a more of a fundamentalist Baptist church, so I didn't stay there very long. And then I got involved with City Yoga, and I studied under Guru Maitreya Vlasananda for a while, and I went up to her ashram that she had in the Catskill Mountains, and that was very powerful for me. I I really enjoyed Guru Mai, and I liked her very much, and I still do, because she laughs a lot, and she finds the humor in life. That was really, really a good time for me. And um, then I came back to Austin, and through a series of miracles and amazing things, of course, I just kept diving deeper into what does spirit mean to me, what does God mean to me, and I finally settled that I enjoy Christianity for me. I believe in the power of what Christ brought to this world, what his message is, and I would not say that I'm a fundamentalist Christian by any means. To me, being a Christian means action. It means not so much speaking and guiding people into a faith journey similar to mine, but representing Christ the best that I can and, and being the best mother, the best musician, the best wife and lover and the best creator of the gifts that God's given me to make this world a better place, to bring people to a place of peace and to comfort people. So I feel very, very comfortable in my spirituality. I'm a Methodist. I go to a Methodist church, but I don't need to say that I'm a Methodist. That's just the church I've chosen. I like them because we're very community active. We just adopted a family from Burundi, a 14-member family uh, who's coming to our church now and we're trying to help them become a part of Austin society. They don't speak English, and of course we don't speak Swahili, so it's a big uh, learning curve for all of us, and I'm very grateful for that community. And uh, I, So to me, God is a, a wonderful spark and a wonderful essence, and I try to bring that to my children and my husband as well. Very much a heart after my own. Speaking of Burundi, this next February, March, I'm going off to Rwanda, for three-week Quaker folk dance tour over there. There's a number of Quakers there active in the peace, reconciliation stuff following all the disaster that happened there uh, over a decade ago. 
Speaking of other corners of the world, you mentioned earlier connections with Romanian orphans. How did you end up connecting with that corner of the globe? I was sitting in a Denver airport after a show, and I read this newspaper article about a woman and her son who had gone to Romania to work with the orphans. And I knew. It was one of those things where God tapped on my shoulder and said, you, you need to do this. So by uh, <laughs> no coincidence, uh, the woman's phone number was in the paper, and I called her, and she came up to the airport, and we sat and talked for a couple of hours. And when I got back to Texas, I got busy. I got really busy. I asked my fans and my friends and family to help me gather coats and clothing and toys. And I went to Michael's, which is a large art chain. We worked out a deal where I sang a commercial for them in exchange for them giving me $1,500 worth of art supplies that I also took over to Romania uh, through the grace of Lufthansa, who donated a flight to take all the goodies over in these huge refrigerator-sized boxes. So I went to Romania, and I stayed for almost two weeks and worked in orphanages that had the... They had children who were severely disabled, children with hepatitis, children with AIDS, children who had touch deprivation, which means they've never truly been touched and loved. So if you come into their boundary space, they scream and bang their head and hurt themselves. I held children that were blind. It was one of the most incredible experiences that I've had. It made me love these children very deeply. And uh, I came back to the U.S. and I thought, Gosh, I'm just one person, and that was really overwhelming. There's thousands and thousands of children there living down in the sewers. I worked on the streets with kids, too, and and there's so many orphanages, and there's not enough people engaging in helping these children or adopting them. And uh, so this song came through me, and I recorded it with the uh, help of a lot of Dallas musicians at the time, and I used that song for a long time by selling it and sending the money over to orphanages. It is quite a haunting, I don't want to just say melody, it's a haunting experience to listen to the song. The song is Romania, a gift to us through Sarah Hickman. The hills are covered with the riches of your land. So when I reach this city, it's so hard to understand The silent ruins of a twisted heart and hand Ah, Romania The streets aren't streets of gold But swirling clouds of clay Behind the bars of cribs I've seen the children play My heart is heavy With what I've witnessed here today To sing you through the night 
What can one person do to set these wrongs to right? Suffering we could end before another day's sunset. Mother's calling out all over the world. Ah,
Sarah, I want to specifically thank you. When you end that song, and the prayer is going out to Somalia, South Korea, India, North Korea, China, all around, to the USA, I mean, the fact that you included all of us in that that prayer, I think just, it, it blesses the world. Thank you for that gift that you faithfully conveyed to us. Thank you very much. I, uh, I really, again, can't take credit for that. That was another song God sent me to help express the sorrow I was feeling and, and recognizing that there are children all over the world suffering, and it's so needless, you know, that all these mothers are. We're calling out, help us, help us, help us love these children, help us supply food and comfort and a home. And it's very frustrating to me, especially now that I'm a mother, but very frustrating to me that anyone at any time on this planet needs to suffer because it's just, we're such a an amazing, amazing thing, the human race, and how we treat each other just breaks my heart beyond anything I can say. I noticed you've been producing your own CDs for some time now. Early on, you had a, a record deal with Elektra, but somehow they pulled the rug from under you. Uh, did they just decide you weren't commercially viable or enough? Were you too activist? I, I think of people like Holly Neer, who the mainstream didn't want to support them, so she made her own record label. And was that a move that freed you to be your own creative person? Well, yeah, that's a very good question. You know, I think as a little girl growing up, I was brought up to think, oh, if I get on a major label, that's that's the essence of, the culmination of your success, you've made it. And then everybody will know about you and everybody will buy your music and you'll live in a mansion and drive a fancy car and blah, blah, blah. So when you're a little kid, that's that's what you think. But <laughs> the reality is that major labels are really a bank. They are a bank. And the way they view your property and your creative output is that it's theirs. When they forward you the money and advance it, they own things in perpetuity. And so... By signing with the label, you do, to some degree, give up a lot of your own creative avenues because now you've got people saying, ah, you know, could, well, that song you wrote about that homeless woman, that's uh, that's okay, but could you make it more like a Phil Collins song or, mm, you know, Alanis Morissette's really hot right now, could you write a little bit more like her or, <laughs> you know, you, you just kind of start going crazy because you're thinking, well, I thought you liked me and, and what I do uh, so it was um, devastating for me when I got dropped from Electra because I felt like I had failed. I felt like all these people were looking to me and expecting big things out of me, and, and I didn't deliver. And the great thing was there was a wonderful outpouring of love and respect from people I didn't even know who told me to keep marching on and doing my thing, that I needed to strengthen who I was. So in essence, it became a freeing thing, yes, because I could look at myself and go, who am I and what do I want to say? And and now I can actually say it and I may not even know how to say it, but I can explore it and figure it out as I go. And being my own producer and being my own label has, of course, been a wellspring of, of fun. Well, let's go to your last song that you picked out to share with us today. Tell us about Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up was a song I wrote when I was living in Dallas after college. I went through the biggest depression I'd ever gone through. I don't get depressed so much anymore because 
I utilize prayer and I utilize having faith in myself and having faith in God. But when I first got out of college, I went through a very, very difficult scenario that led to my attempted suicide, and then I was in an uh, institution for about a week and a half, which doesn't sound long, but <laughs> it was a very wonderful experience, and I'm grateful for that time. When I got out, I felt very fragile and raw, and this was a song I wrote basically to myself to say, you know, don't give up, you're worth it. And it was all the things that had been in my mind. So I just thought I'd end it with this song today because I'd like to say to everybody, don't give up when there's times when you're weary or you're not sure what to do or maybe you're in a violent situation or maybe, you just, maybe you're just tired. I hope this song will bring you the energy and the joy to know that you matter. You matter more than you know.
Singer-songwriter and person was my Song of the Soul guest, Sarah Hickman, who joined us today from her home stomping grounds of Austin, Texas. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org and I invite you to share your song of the soul with my listeners just contact me via my website and please join me weekly for song of the soul you can be 